Preconceived ideas can get us into a lot of trouble. When we put people in a box before we ever meet them, it can cause a lot of trouble. Or if you have a preconceived idea of how something is going to go, it can get you in a lot of trouble. I'm not saying this has ever happened in my house, but, but if it sounds familiar, then shame on you. Maybe the wife or girlfriend says the boyfriend or to the husband, we're going to this place to meet a lot of people you don't know. And maybe the husband or boyfriend says, I don't want to go. That's going to be miserable. I'm not going to like it. And there ensues a morning of fighting. Again, this is all hypothetical. I've just imagined this. Uh, I write novels also on the side. I'm just imagining a story. And then you go to the event, this event that you've already assumed and put in a box that it's going to be horrible, and you meet some people who ultimately become your best friends for life. Well, my, you misjudged that one, didn't you? You put that event in the wrong box because that's not what happened. It wasn't miserable. It was a joyful time. But it took four hours of fighting to get there, right? Or that coworker who you've never met but will be new, and you just know what they're going to be like. You just know it. And you've already knocked them down before they ever arrived. Or maybe you've been that employee. You didn't even have a fair shake before you showed up. Preconceived ideas, putting people into a box, causes a lot of trouble in our world. And it has caused a lot of trouble in relationships over the years. Today, as we continue to walk through the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see a case where a group of people created a box, and tried to put a very important person into it. And what happens in light of that makes all the difference for me and you. So let's jump in. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. We are picking up with the story. Jesus has just brought back to life a young 12-year-old girl, and the story continues. Here's what we read. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown. That's Nazareth accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable, what, what, what are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands, uh, his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Before Jesus ever showed up to Nazareth, the people in his hometown had already created a box for Jesus. They already had them figured out. Here are some of the things that they put in this box they had created for Jesus. They considered him average. He was familiar. And he was just the local handyman. He was the son of the carpenter in town. This is who Jesus was. This is who they knew him to be. They had seen this guy from birth. 
They knew him. They knew all these things about him. And so he was just average, and they were just familiar with him, and just, again, the handyman. And yet Jesus shows up, and he doesn't fit in their box. He comes announcing the kingdom of God. He comes saying that he is the anointed one. He comes teaching with authority. This average familiar handyman shows up with all of that authority. He doesn't fit into that box. Here's, what I, here's how I think that might look if we were going to illustrate it. We would just have Jesus' name laid right over top of that box. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit inside the box. Jesus didn't fit into their preconceived box. We can't under overestimate how much Jesus busted the seams of their box. In the Gospel of Luke, he records this same scene with more detail. I want to invite you in to that scene that Luke writes about to see just exactly how much is going on when he shows up at Nazareth. I want you to see just how much he's busting the box open. Take a look. Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 16. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, and as was his custom, he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now Jesus then takes, then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I am the anointed one. I'm the one all the promises of God laid on. I will bring you out of exile. And then there's some discussion between the people and Jesus. And we come to verse 28 after this discussion, and we read, All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the, the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This, this record that Luke gives us fills out some of the details of what's happening in Luke chapter 6. And that is, Jesus comes in as anything but an average guy. He comes in not just as the handyman, but he is the anointed one. And he's declaring that he has all authority. He's declaring and announcing that the kingdom of God is now at hand, and they better listen. All the promises of God are now on him. This guy, who they saw grow up, in their hometown. I mean, they watched Jesus play kickball. They probably watched Jesus lose kickball. I don't think Jesus sinned in his losing, but I bet Jesus lost in kickball every once in a while. I imagine they saw Jesus mess up when he was learning how to do carpentry with his dad. I imagine Jesus had foibles as a kid. And I don't think he knew everything coming out of Mary. I think he had to learn and grow. I think he probably messed up on a test or two. I don't think he sinned in his anger, but I think he was also human. They saw this kid grow up, and now he stands in front of them, declaring that he has authority, that all the promises of God that they have been learning about their whole life are now on him, and he's going to fulfill them. And these people take offense. 
Because for them, they know who Jesus is. They want to, they want to know, who's this guy? Like, who does he think he is? He thinks he's somebody. Well, we know who he is. Because they already had a box for him. They had him figured out. And they were going to make sure Jesus knew who he was. No matter what he, who he thought he was, they knew who he was. And they took offense at him. And in this moment, they, had this, they, they stood in this place at this cross section, this crossroads, where they could believe who this Jesus was in front of them, like this real Jesus, who Jesus really was, or they could trust their box. And in the end, they held on to this preconceived, this pre-made box that they had made for Jesus. And they demanded that he go inside the box. And if he didn't, then he needed to be removed. And they took offense at him. And this is something Mark writes here in the gospel to highlight something he has been rolling over, repeating throughout the gospel up to this point. So this is a theme that's now getting pulled out with more detail in the gospel of Mark. But we've seen it happening through our time in the gospel. Take a look at an illustration Jesus used in Mark 2, 22, when he used wineskins to illustrate what's happening here. Jesus said this, No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. When Jesus said this several chapters before chapter 6, he was declaring to the Pharisees and the religious leaders that unless they reworked their box, using the illustration of wineskins, unless they got new wineskins, the old box, the old wineskins, wouldn't be able to hold who he really was or new wine. They were so tied to their rigid rules, their man-made rituals, they couldn't see Jesus for who he was. One scholar says of this verse, describes it this way. The Pharisees had become rigid like old wineskins. They could not accept faith in Jesus that would not be contained or limited to man-made ideas or rules. Mark is wanting us to understand a truth, a theme, that not only has gone before us, will continue to the, until we get to the cross in Mark chapter 15. Let me say it this way. We'll go back to that quote a couple slides back. Jesus brings a different kind of life into the world, and he doesn't let people control him by putting him into a box. And throughout the Gospel of Mark, throughout this fast-moving story, people have been putting Jesus in a pre-made box as if they had him all figured out. And what he does is he breaks that box over and over again. So come with me through a small journey from Mark chapter 1 to Mark chapter 6 and watch all the boxes he blows up along the way. Mark chapter 1, verse 27. Take a look at this. The people were so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? What is this? A new teaching. And with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. This is Mark chapter 1. This is when he launches the ministry. They have no idea how to interpret him. they got no idea what's going on. Who's this guy teaching like this and casting out impure spirits? We don't understand. We don't have a category for him because the box they had for him was way too small. Let's look. Mark chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. 
Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? In their world, only God forgave sins. And here's a man showing up forgiving sins. They had no way of bringing those together because the box they had for Jesus was pretty small. There was no way of understanding Jesus as one who forgives sins. And what Jesus does is he blows up that box and says, I can forgive sins. Let's go now, verse 16, same chapter, verse 16. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? In the world of a Pharisee, when you are a religious person, you live in a pure box. You don't hang out with people that do bad things. You don't go to bars. You don't have drinks. You don't hang out with these people. You stay within your box. And here Jesus hangs out with the worst of the worst, the tax collectors and the sinners, those that have been given the label of impure, those that are not on the inside of the church circles. And here Jesus starts hanging out with them. It doesn't fit the box. And they're confused, and so they start asking these questions. How is it? And that question is freighted with a lot of condemnation. How is it? How is it that this guy eats with sinners and tax collectors? He must not be who he says he is. That's what the, what's on the other end of that. Let's look at verse 18. So take, come with me now, verse 18, same chapter. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Why aren't you doing what everyone else is doing? We have a box for you, Jesus, and, and you're not living inside the box. What gives? Jesus is doing things different. Now, let's go to verse 23, chapter 2, verse 23 through 24. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Again, they had a preconceived, a pre-made box that every religious person would live in. And here Jesus lives outside the box and they can't understand. And so what they do is they judge Jesus and they judge him quickly. The question behind what comes after that implied is that you must not be a religious person. You must be a lawbreaker just like those sinners and tax collectors. You see, when you can't control Jesus, you got to get rid of him. And you can get rid of them in a variety of ways, but here the Pharisees got to get rid of them. Let's look at chapter 3, verse 22. The teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. The Pharisees come, they see Jesus casting out demons. They don't understand it. So what do you do next when you, when you haven't been able to remove your problem? Now you just start calling them names. In our world, you would be taking a picture of Jesus, Snapchatting it into your story or Instagramming it 
Or is that, if that's, is that how you say it? You say Instagram? Is that a verb? I don't know. Maybe we can have that conversation, not live, maybe later. You can help me. Uh, or you post it on Facebook, and then what you do is you just shame them. You just do some shaming along the way, and you get some really good hashtags, like hashtag demon-possessed, hashtag prince of the dark world, I don't know, like hashtag you're like the devil, okay? You get what I'm saying? This is what's happening they don't know how to deal with him. So now they just start bullying and name-calling. And they call him the prince of demons. That's how bad this is getting. Take a look now, chapter 4. Take a look at chapter 4, verse 47. They were terrified and asked each other. This is the disciples, by the way. These are the people closest to him. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I mean, they knew Jesus they knew Jesus was someone special. They even believed he was the anointed one as far as they could understand. But here Jesus calms a raging storm. And in their world, no matter how close to Jesus they were, the box they had him in did not allow him to control the wind and the waves. That was just something that God could do, the God of Israel. The God who brought Israel out of Egypt and split the Red Sea. That's just something he does. And here they saw Jesus doing the exact same thing. And they had no idea how to interpret that. And so they asked, who is this? These are just seven examples from a few chapters moving to Mark chapter 6 where we sit today. All along the way, Jesus is breaking the boxes people are putting him in. Because over and over and over again, People want to trust their box, their pre-made box, more than they want to trust the Jesus that is in front of them. And I think that has a lot of application for us today. I think it actually has something to teach you while you are making dinner tonight. Here's the question. Here's the question I want to move us into application with. Are you putting Jesus into a box? That's a big question. Got a lot of directions we can go. So let's just start walking through a series of questions that get us to answering that question. Let's just, let's just take that journey. First question that comes to my mind is, we put Jesus in a box when we reduce him to Santa Claus, believing he exists just to give us what we want. Now, I'm saying that I'm saying that direct. I'm saying that explicitly. I doubt anyone in this room actually thinks Jesus is Santa Claus. So don't get caught up on the metaphor, on the illustration. But often we go to Jesus just when we need something. Now Jesus can handle us going to him when we need something. He would actually want you to go to him more than anyone else. But when we turn him into Santa Claus... We simply are going to Jesus to make our life more comfortable. And I don't think Jesus is Santa Claus. I don't think he's a genie in a bottle. And so think about and consider, when are those times that you go to Jesus? Are they just when you need a little more comfort or to fix a pain? Jesus is not Santa Claus. And often people get frustrated and leave him when they don't get what they want. Why? Because they put them into the Christmas box. 
Take a look. Here's another, another thing to consider. We put Jesus in a box when we turn him into a ticket to heaven, seeing him as a product we secure rather than a relationship we gain. A popular gospel today is to talk about Jesus as just a sacrifice for your sins so you can go to heaven. I got no problem with you going to heaven. I'm going to encourage that. I'm actually going to, 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 to say that's something I would like. I'd like you all to go to heaven, okay? We'd have a problem if it was otherwise. But there's a whole, there's a whole nother dimension to the kingdom of God. And that is that God is actually changing you from the inside. That God doesn't just want to remove the guilt of your sin. He wants to deal with sin. He wants to deal with your character so that you can actually treat your kids different when they frustrate you at 7 p.m. on a Monday night. Like, that's what Jesus is about. Jesus is about helping you live in harmony with your neighbor when their dog won't stop barking. That's the kind of life Jesus is working with here that he's wanting to give us. So often we sell Jesus as if he's just another product. So do a thought experiment next time you, you start to walk down this road, that is getting Jesus just so you can get to heaven. Just Just take out the the name Jesus and put in another product. Sometimes we sell Jesus like we're selling a Starbucks latte. Because trust me, that pumpkin spice latte is being sold as if it will give you heaven on earth. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I guess that was just a shameless plug for Starbucks. Um, You go, what was he talking about? Um, hashtag Starbucks when I post this on, on our Facebook page, right? Um, and if that's a way of getting royalties, then we will do it. We will do it. We will do it as a church. Any way to revenue. Um, so, so we want to be very careful, very careful, not to turn Jesus into a consumer product. He is not in the business of just getting you to heaven as if your life right now doesn't matter. He is here to save all of you. Where you are when you are in your living room, to your workplace, to the worship center. All of it, Jesus is grabbing. So we should never just turn him into a ticket to heaven. That is a limited box. He wants all of your life. Let's go with another one. We put Jesus in a box when we think he's a Republican, Democrat, or tied exclusively to any political party. This is, this is and will be a temptation for us Americans over the next year. We, as a democracy, get involved with politics. It's one of the massive blessings of this country that we actually get to vote and participate in who leads us. But we must be very careful not to turn Jesus into a Democrat or a Republican. Now, there may be some things in the Republican Party that really mesh well with Jesus. And there may be some things in the Democratic Party that mesh well with Jesus. It goes both sides of the aisle on this one. Or Libertarian or Green Party, take your pick. But do not turn Jesus into a Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, or Green Party. He will break that box faster than you can say Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, or 2020, or go with whatever slogan you want. He will break that box. 
because Jesus is not a political party. He will inform you, but he will not tie himself directly to a political party. So we must be very careful. So if we have brothers and sisters in this church that are Democrats, we will not ostracize them the closer we get to the election in 2020. And if you really don't like Republicans, you will not ostracize your Republican brother or sister the closer you get to the 2020 election. Because Jesus breaks all of those boxes. And there will not be a United States of America in heaven. There will be a tribe of people, different colors and different languages, from around the globe singing one song, doing the work under the authority of one king. And so we need to remember that here. Because our emotions will get ramped up in the coming months. Be very careful we don't put Jesus in that box. We put Jesus in a box when we live unsurprised by him. When's the last time you were surprised by Jesus? Typically, if you're like me, you read the Gospels and it seems a bit humdrum and normal. I feel like I've domesticated him. I got him all under control. That's a sign that I've probably put Jesus in a box. If I am living with Jesus for this many years and rarely find myself surprised, I probably don't understand Jesus because Jesus is always in the business of surprising us because we are limited, we are finite. And it doesn't matter how many people I follow on Twitter and Instagram or how much news I watch, I will always have a limited understanding of this world, yet Jesus sees it all. And he will bring that full expression of love and generosity into my life right where I am and surprise me. So be careful if you haven't been surprised by Jesus lately. Let him surprise you. Be ready to be challenged because that's the kind of God Jesus is. Let's do one more. When, when we put Jesus in a box, we put Jesus in a box when we live blind to our sins. If you think you're a really good person, you may not know Jesus very well. If you think you got it pretty much together, you may not know Jesus. Deep down, in places we can't get to in our soul, we have a lot of deception. And we got a lot of manipulation. The roots of sin are deep in our muscle memory. So be very careful when you feel really good about yourself. Now, I don't mean you love yourself. We should love ourselves. You should love the life God has given you right where you are and thank him for it. I'm talking about that feel good about yourself where you begin putting other people down. And we all do that in different ways. I'm not saying you walk up to someone and say you're an idiot and punch them in the nose. That's not what I'm talking about. We, don't, we rarely do that. We throat punch people in our mind. That's what we do. We knock them out, and they don't even know it because we feel better than them. It's one reason that social media is so popular. You can always find someone dumber than you on social media. <laughs> so be very, very careful if you have not confessed your sins to Jesus lately and asked for forgiveness. You are a greater monster inside 
than you even know. The good news is that the kingdom of God is available to you, and he will change that. So that just maybe, by the time you get years down the road, you will naturally become the kind of person who doesn't yell at your kids as easily as you did the week before. That is what the kingdom of God is doing. But never believe you're so good that you don't need Jesus to expose you. If you do not confess your sins regularly, you may have Jesus in a box. Let's pull all this to an applic- like a next step where we can apply it today. So here's a next step I think we can all take and into the week. Read from one of the Gospels each day this week. Read from one of the Gospels each day this week. So often we learn about Jesus through hearsay or our culture or just what we do on a Sunday morning. This is not enough to get a full picture of who Jesus is. So take one of the Gospels and just read a little. I mean, you read a verse, you read several verses, literally open the Bible, physical or digital, and just open one of the Gospels and read a little bit about Jesus and hear his words directly, no filter. I think what will happen if we just go and read and go on the journey with Jesus directly, we will see some exciting things happen. Here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. Let's put that next slide up. Enter, I want us to enter the story and let Jesus surprise you. Let him break your box and let him reveal himself as the king and savior that he is. And one way to do that is to just read the gospels directly. Read one, two, Verses, or read a whole chapter. But let Jesus break some of those preconceived boxes that you and I carry. Let me pray for you in that direction. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Even as I prepared for this, he was surprising me and convicting me. I pray that that happens with this church family. That we become the kind of people who are surprised by your son. Would you help us remove any box we have created that we are trying to force Jesus into? And may we come open-handed, accepting him for who he is, King and Savior and Teacher. We pray it under his authority and in his friendship, all inside and under the kingdom of God. And together we say, Amen.